This episode of Full Stack Radio is brought to you by Hired. Hired is like a different take on the digital job marketplace, specifically catered to developers, designers, and engineers, where instead of companies posting jobs, you actually create a profile that outlines your experience, what sort of position you're looking for, and things like that. And once it's been approved, Hired promotes it for a week in their marketplace. So during that week, companies will view your profile, and if they like what they see, they can send you an offer to interview with full disclosure on compensation and stuff like that. And if you end up accepting a job that you interviewed for through Hired, Hired will actually pay you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you. And if you sign up through Hired.com slash FullStackRadio, they'll actually double that bonus to 4000 bucks. So I haven't actually used this service myself, but some research online makes it look like a lot of people have had great luck finding awesome jobs this way. So definitely check them out. And thanks again to Hired for sponsoring the podcast. Enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Full Stack Radio podcast, where we talk to people in the software industry about everything from user experience and product design to unit testing and system administration. I'm Adam Wyland, as always, and uh, today I'm here with Matt Machuga, who's been on the show before. How's it going, Matt? Good. How about you? Awesome. And uh, Ryan Tablada, who's uh, first time on the show here. How's it going, Ryan? I'm doing well. Uh, so I wanted to talk to you guys kind of generally about the concept of type safety uh, and like the philosophical differences between like writing code in a statically typed language and writing code in a dynamically typed language and some of the interesting in-betweens that you get in a language like PHP, which is like a dynamically typed language that still supports um, some of this, like what they're calling type hinting, where you can declare types if you want, but they're totally optional and it can be a totally duck type language uh, if you want it to be. So I guess the first thing would be like, where is most of your guys' experience with programming as far as languages go? And what's kind of your history and what have you played with? Why don't you go first, Ryan? Yeah, so I started I started out in like Java and J-sharp and C-sharp back in the day, uh, doing, doing school and uh, through university. So I was really into strong typing until, until I pretty much hit Lisp and PHP at the same time. Okay, cool. And you're writing a lot of JavaScript now too, right? Yeah. So I just keep going like more fast and loose as, as I go along. <laughs> awesome. What about you, Matt? Hold on. I got to go back real quick. What is J sharp? Uh, J sharp was, uh, back in the day, Microsoft was like, let's make a .NET version of every language out there. And J sharp was their Java one that they supported for like two years. And I bought like the, the .NET developer pack for it. That was like $500. And I was in high school and it was like crazy expensive for, a you know, an IDE essentially that was just eclipse. And, um, yeah. And then they dropped support for it two years later and what said, was the, use what C sharp. Was the difference between like, like isn't C sharp Microsoft's better version of Java already? Like did J sharp, like did it actually like run Java code or was it? Yeah, it, it was just more job. Like it was more Java E than C sharp, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I had said, to derail you. I've never heard of that before. They said we stopped supporting J sharp and I just stopped doing it. So, <laughs> Just pissed away 500 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> Good going, Microsoft. Awesome. What about you, Matt? Uh, I started on C Sharp. Uh, technically, I started on Visual Basic a long time ago, but I prefer not to admit that that happened. Um, yeah, so I did C, uh, C++ for four years. I did a little bit of C, and then I kind of just started heading towards Python and then PHP, and uh, Ruby is pretty much where I've landed now. Um, so, you know, I had the strict typing and all that, but I've also seen people abuse the crap out of that in C languages and just void pointer pretty much everything. <laughs> so, 
I guess it's kind of duct typing question mark. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> For sure. Uh, me personally, I, uh, my kind of like formal education was in C and C plus plus, and then moving into C sharp and Java kind of as my like schooling progressed and stuff. And always a little bit of PHP on the side just for web stuff. Like I think probably all of us have always kind of played with PHP. If you've ever wanted to do any dynamic stuff on the web, that's kind of seems to be the gateway drug. And uh, then obviously I'm full-time PHP now and I dabble uh, with Ruby on the side as well. Matt, since you're like primarily a Ruby developer these days, what would you say you like about the type system in Ruby versus you know, the type system in C-sharp. Do you feel like you're missing anything? Do you feel like you're getting anything extra? I guess for what I'm getting extra is I can kind of freely dispatch uh, messages to objects as I please, and I don't really care what receives it. Um, now, you know, like most languages can do that, but in languages like Ruby or uh, Objective-C, for example, I can kind of throw in a proxy object and... You know, maybe what I'm sending a message to is going to be the receiver, or it could just get routed somewhere else, and that's going to pass off that message in particular. So I find that that works better in a message passing language, especially if I don't have types to worry about. As far as what I'm missing, sometimes I actually do want to ensure that I have certain things available, and this isn't type system related, it's more of contract related. Um, I just want to ensure that I have certain things coming in, coming out, and um, maybe I want some sort of conceptual interface in between, but really I generally don't need that. It's just like certain areas of the code where I really want to ensure that happens. Um, and that's, you know, in our code base at work, that is a fraction. So I don't know. I see the benefit, but in Ruby, I can actually just add a library to a certain area of my code and it enables typing. So it kind of helps out. It's interesting that you kind of bring up the difference between like, I don't know what you would call it. I guess like the difference between like sending a message and like calling a function. Mm -hmm. And that's like a pretty significant, I think, conceptual difference that I've been thinking about and trying to think about how to really define. And I think like the way that I'm thinking about it right now is in like a statically typed language where, you know, I have an object and I'm calling a method on that object. I'm thinking about that as like the consuming code that's calling that method is kind of like reaching into that object, like taking a stranglehold on the method that I want to call <laughs> and making sure that method is invoked. You know what I mean? It mm -hmm. seems like it kind of feels like over specification to me these days. That's kind of what I feel like versus in a message passing type system, instead of like reaching into that object and like grabbing the method and like making sure call this method, I want you to take the lines of code that are in between these two brackets and execute them. It's more like I'm telling you to do this or asking you for this. And it hits like the boundary of the object and gets like intercepted by some like translator sort of in between who kind of gets to decide, okay, so it's asking me to do this. Now, as the object, it's kind of up to me to decide how I want to, you know, respond to this. Maybe I have a method that, you know, matches this name exactly. And I'll just say, okay, we'll just like call this method and give them the result of that. Or maybe I don't have that method defined specifically, but I have some rules codified for handling messages that I don't specifically understand. Maybe it means like I pass it off to this other object that I'm kind of in cahoots with and then forward whatever that says back to the consuming object. You know what I mean? And when I think mm -hmm. about it in terms of that, it feels like a much more like flexible system. Like it feels like 
more trustworthy. It feels like you're trusting the things that you're collaborating with. Like, does that make sense from like a philosophical level to you guys? Yeah. And it, I like the fact that you brought up trust and I'll get to that in a minute, but, um, the way, the way I kind of saw the differences between message passing systems and function invoking was, uh, looking at the way that objective C's runtime actually works. Um, I don't know if it's still online today, but uh, I want to say it was like four or five years ago, maybe, um, Apple had the documentation for like the way that objective C translated your objective C method. I'm sorry. Apple had it documented that your objective C methods would look like this in translated C. And then it just like wired everything up through the lookup table and the objective C runtime to make that happen. And like, I was like, Oh, it's kind of magical. You know, it's just, it's sending a message off and it's checking if it's there. Um, practically nowadays, I don't think once it passes a certain threshold in the execution path, it doesn't matter whether it's function invoking or not. Now that the part where it matters is kind of what I was discussing earlier, where I can just have something intercept it, which is kind of cool. Like I never have to worry about what's doing that. Um, at the same time, I don't know what's going to receive the message. So sometimes you care, sometimes you don't, but that's where the trust comes in, where I just assume the developer is going to do the right thing. Whether that's safe to assume is a different question, but um, you know, I f- the way I look at it, and I think the way a lot of Rubyists look at it, is if you protect the outside of your application, you can have looser definitions on the inside. You don't have to be as uh, defensive coding. And the thing with like trusting like the object that you're sending the message to is if that object like can't work with that message, then like your application is broken. And you're going to mm-hmm. know that it's broken in, in one way or another. Like, I, I feel like sometimes people talk about this idea of like needing to enforce that when something's coming in, it's the right type. It's like, if I pass the wrong thing, it's going to break something, whether the type is there or <laughs> not. You know what I mean? It just mm-hmm. kind of breaks in yeah. like a slightly different way. You're going to get a missing, like a missing method exception instead of like a classes the wrong kind or something you know yeah like mm-hmm. especially in like so in for example like in ruby right if if i have an object or say i have like an add method right let's say i have like redefined a method for like adding two numbers together and i pass in a string to the first parameter and i pass in a number to the second parameter and i try to add those up and return them it's gonna break it doesn't matter that i didn't like hint that they both needed to be integers in a language like php that has like a weird silent casting system, then you can run into problems with stuff like that. But I don't necessarily think that the the culprit is the fact that you're not defining the types in the function signature. I think it's like that the language is designed to coerce types in this like particular way that we either have to work around and accept that, you know, that's the way it's supposed to be or work to get changed. And it's never going to change because it's just too much stuff that either depends on things working that way or yeah it would just be like such a backwards compatibility break that'll never happen so i don't know um back to like kind of the differences between you know your experiences with static languages and dynamic languages ryan what about you what are the what do you find like the big differences in your mentality to writing code are between writing you know j sharp <laughs> your language of choice back in the day and uh, oh, yeah. you know javascript now um i think I think the big thing for me is I also have a I have a hard time separating kind of the other like cruft that came with like Java or C plus plus or anything. 
So it's even hard for me to be like, oh, I hated, I hated having to make sure that my entrance point was defined just the way it needed to be and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I don't know. I feel weird about kind of looking at the compiler and seeing, you know, some of the, some of the runtime functions that kind of PHP ships with the library functions of working with arrays and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, if we had a return type system that was opt in, maybe, you know, maybe that could, could give some benefits of being able to optimize that of saying these different functions are always going to need certain type of properties at the library level. And I don't know, I see, I see the benefits of both as far as performance, but then at the same time, I'm kind of like, uh, just pay $20 extra a month and get an AWS instance. that's a little bit bigger and who cares at the end of the day. <laughs> see, I don't, as far as I'm aware, even yeah. with type pinning involved, PHP will not optimize the opcodes for it. Like it, no. it just yeah. adds in a checking layer. It's almost um, like overhead. I, I, I know people have benchmarked it and it's like, there's no difference like between mm-hmm. the two, but it's certainly like not faster. Like the fact that it checks the types at runtime is actually more work than it would do if it just didn't check them. You know yeah. what I mean? Right. And uh, I think what you mentioned earlier with uh, the coercion system, I think that plays a large part into why a lot of PHP developers feel safer with it because like really the way that PHP will convert things um like the way it can coerce a string with an integer into an integer if it needs to. Uh, I think that's a valid case. Like things like that are kind of weird and it's very edge casey. If you're using the double equals, it's more so triple equals. You're kind of on the safer end of that. Um, in Ruby, there's kind of a set way that stuff happens. And since all the, I guess all the coercion related behavior is all handled by methods. You can kind of easily predict what's going to happen. So long as somebody didn't monkey patch something weird onto your object that changes <laughs> it into like something else, but like uh, something you know, that like, monkey patches in a type system. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I think is hilarious. Okay. This is like kind of a, a tangent, but I find it funny that in C sharp, there's the concept of extension methods where like I can add methods to objects defined by the C sharp framework, like .NET library stuff, but people will never let us be able to do that in PHP, which is like a dynamically typed language because it's like seen as an evil, but like kind of like the Holy grail of, you know, the Java ish um, statically typed languages, which, you know, C sharp is, you know, heralded as basically like, you know, the better version of Java. And I would say that it probably is like, if you want to write that sort of code, I think C sharp is like an awesome environment to write it in. Like visual studio is like the most powerful IDE that I've ever used. And C sharp is a super feature rich and super powerful language. If you want to write stuff that way, but like there's things like creeping into that language and things that it does that despite being a static language, we can't even like get in a dynamically typed language, which I find kind of odd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of it's just like legacy of PHP. Like it can't change certain things and retain backwards compatibility. And then other things it just cannot change due to the way the parser works internally. Um, Like I'm not a C whiz and I haven't looked through more than I think the lexing area of the PHP source. So I can't confirm anything, but like, I know a lot of that's pretty rough to manipulate. Um, But you know, like, I started uh, a discussion the other day on Twitter, just trying to get feedback. Um, Cause I think we discussed something similar in IRC or there was a previous discussion on Twitter, but it was something about Adam. Actually it might've been you that posted the original 
thing there with types and we were discussing it and I was like, why don't we use hack? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I was at trying to get a feel on why PHP developers who were like adamant about having a typing system weren't kind of, kind of migrating towards hack. Um, because ultimately you can use hack files mixed in with your PHP files. And to me, that seems like a great solution for PHP developers who want that enhanced feeling of a type system. Um, same way that TypeScript can kind of layer on top of JavaScript. And I actually like I got some feedback on that. Um, some people were kind of just questioning why I was asking that, like almost offended. Other people were just like, well, you know, HHVM is just not ready in all cases. Um, IRC user Garby actually pointed out that he is restricted from hack and HHVM just due to like Postgres interop right now. Um, I guess oh, like wow. a few things aren't working. Yeah, I was shocked. I, I just thought it used PDO like normal. Huh. Um, but I guess there's a couple issues with it. Um, but ultimately like when hack came out, I was kind of shaking my head at it. I'm like, why are they doing this? But when I like kind of take a step back to me, it makes sense because PHP has the legacy that it has to support with hack. You just throw it in front of your language and you keep working on it. And it's not even like a compile source to source. It's just, it runs on the HHVM bytecode. So to me, it's a win-win, but uh, you know, like I can understand why people can't go to it. But my general argument, every time this thing comes up, when people try to put more and more Java features into PHP, I just ask them, like, why don't you use Java? Like, to, <laughs> like I'm not even doing it to be snarky or anything. Like, yeah, yeah, to, me, totally. yeah. to me, Java gives you extra benefits that PHP does not. Absolutely. Along with, like, the 10x speed boost. Yeah. That's true. And I think, like, uh, I think, like, the reason, right, like, one of the biggest reasons is that the reason people even use PHP in the first place is because it's so ubiquitous right it's like right. so it's everywhere it's easy to host and as soon as you you know can switch from php to anything probably you're not too worried about switching specifically to hack like if you were in the position where right. you could choose like what environment you're hosting your application in and you want um you know a real type safety in like a real compiled language you're not really too worried about like switching specifically to hack unless you're trying to like actually port over like a significant like php code base like facebook did right we're like mm-hmm. we have all this stuff and we have to somehow figure out a way to make it run better and we don't have a choice but like if you're someone who's just got something small or you're starting something new and it's like oh i want php but i want the benefits of type safety well if you have the ability to run hack then you are probably able to just uh, spin up a .NET app if you really want to. I mean, there's like a little bit of like political, I guess, like baggage that comes along with like building like a .NET app. Like if like yeah. C sh- if I could like build a C Sharp app in like an IDE in like my OS 10 environment, like in an en- enjoyable, comfortable way, I probably <laughs> would be more interested in it. But because it's like I have to run in Visual Studio on Windows, I have to host it on IIS or whatever. I have to use Microsoft SQL Server. At least if I if I want things to really play nicely and get the best possible experience that's just such like a drastic jump from like my current development environment it's like a whole other world of tooling and stuff to get used to so it's Mm -hmm. kind of out of reach for you know a lot of people and that's Mm -hmm. what i think i think a lot of these statically typed languages have going against them well i i'm going to say going against them from kind of the people that are coming in from a javascript or uh php or Ruby background is that not only are you getting a statically typed language, you're also getting, you know, kind of like you're talking, you go to C sharp, not only are you getting now a statically typed compiled language that you have to do in visual bait, like visual studio, 
or Java, you're still getting a compiled language along with it. It's like you have to not you have to trade in multiple things just to get static typing. Um, and I'm trying to think of any of the major languages out there that are still like statically typed but interpreted. And uh, I don't know. I'm coming at a loss right now. Can you guys think of anything? With without a separate runtime and without a separate fork, I can't think of anything. Yeah. Offhand, like Closure has optional typing, but that compiles down to Java bytecode. Um, it's technically partially it it's interpreted, but it runs on right. um, it has a JIT in front of it. Yeah. So kind I mean, of, but it's optional. <laughs> kind of getting back to like the kind of PHP specific thing, since I think a lot of people listening are kind of interested in that side of the conversation. I've made the argument to a lot of people that the type hinting system in PHP is like really great inline documentation. But other than that, I don't really feel like it adds basically anything. (laughs) And to me, that's because like in a real statically typed compiled language, one of the the biggest benefits of the fact that your types are in your code, you know, aside from the documentation side of it, and I mean, call it documentation, call it communication, call it, you know, improved readability, whatever you want, the ability to kind of glance at like a function definition and have a quicker, better understanding of, you know, what it's expecting to work with. Besides that, like the biggest benefits are there's a local compile step. So if there are uh, type errors, you are going to be warned about them before you even have to run your code. Like you're going to be warned about them immediately mm-hmm. um, because they're, everything is typed. The compiler can optimize for that and, you know, uh, compile down to a more performant, you know, set of op codes mm-hmm. and right. run things better that way. So in a language like PHP, where even if you type in every single thing, none of it is checked until it's like just in time checked, basically, right? It's a check to the very, very, very last possible second. If I have a function that can only take, you know, a foo, and I write some code above it, that's like one out of 100 times, generate a bar and pass that in instead. One out of 100 times when I run the application, there's not going to be any errors. Whereas that would obviously not compile in <laughs> Java mm-hmm. or, or C sharp, right? So I don't really see like what the major benefits are besides being able to glance at a, a function definition and see what the types involved in that call are. And a lot of people tell me, you know, well, how else can I be sure that I'm getting like the right thing in? And I think when like you really analyze that argument, you find out that it like, doesn't really hold a lot of weight for like the same reasons that I was saying before, like the how can I be sure thing. So if I type hint it, now I'm sure that the thing coming in is the right thing. Well, if it gets in, it's the right thing, but that doesn't stop someone from sending the wrong thing. And there's going to be a bug if they send the wrong thing, whether it's type hinted or not. Like I feel like well-written, well-designed code that does the same thing would look exactly the same with or without type hints. Like the type hinting doesn't change what you have to do Mm. with the code. And people are giving me this argument of like, oh, well, now that I can uh, type hint in the function definition, I don't have to type check at the beginning of my methods. And I'm like, what the (laughs) fuck? Like, why are you type checking at the beginning of your methods? Like, you have bigger problems. Like, that's just not the way that you should be writing code unless you're at like, right at the edge of like your user interface, accepting user input that you have to like check and sanitize and get into the right format. But you have to do that like in a type safe system too. Like, because when the input comes in from the user, it's all coming in as like strings if it's coming through the web and you have to get that into the format that you need it in anyways. Mm -hmm. So it's not really much different. So I feel like for me, I really prefer to just be able to 
kind of code confidently and like uh, not defensively and not like timidly and just Mm -hmm. kind of trust that everything is working the way it's going to work. I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, So, I mean, I have mixed emotions on a lot of that Uh, with the one point you made where uh, like, let's kind of get into interfaces a little bit with that. If I declare that something implements a certain contract, I can ensure that it has those methods, right? Yeah. But if I want to make a decorator object, which maybe just prepends a string to certain certain methods, like certain properties, I have to implement every damn method that that contract declares, despite right. the fact that I could just add a magic method or method missing and dispatch mm-hmm. everything dynamically. So to me, that's more of a hindrance than anything. And some people could argue that it's the safe way to do it. But if my methods are there and it just proxies through to the next object, I don't really care to specify it again. The, th- the other thing with that too, right? That specific example that I've used a lot too is, um, you know, people say like, well, you should be explicit. It's not explicitly implementing the interface if you're delegating through a magic method. But if you look at um, an object that's sole purpose is to decorate a couple methods and delegate the rest to another object, to me, it's way more clear when I'm using a magic method. Like if I look at that class, I can see, okay, the purpose of this class is to decorate these two methods and then delegate everything else. Mm -hmm. I understand what its job is. When I'm explicitly delegating everything, it's like, okay, so here's these 12 methods that were defined in this interface that I've got explicitly defined. A couple of them does something different. A couple of them don't. I have to kind of really like pay attention and look carefully to understand exactly what's changing stuff and what's just delegating. Like to me, it doesn't feel as clear or as obvious or as intention revealing as actually being able to codify this concept of I delegate every other method, not I delegate these other specific methods in the interface. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of it is just the, like the kind of feeling behind it. And uh, like, I, I really do understand the explicit argument, but I like, like I think of it almost as a way that you do. Um, for instance, in our, our software that we have, it's like math for kids. Um, kids can make attempts. We have a whole bunch of objects in place that can take those attempts and then transform them into something and like judge it. So if we want to replace one of those attempts with like a, a new handler, for instance, and still support the old one, I've actually taken to using um, kind of a proxy object that just sits there. It analyzes whether it should be legacy or not. If it is, it forks off and proxies to the first object. If not, it proxies to the other one. The interface looks exactly the same, and it just uses a dynamic dispatch and calls the right object like beyond that point. So for me, that would disrupt it and make sure I have to implement about you know 30 methods. And I'm not saying that's good object design because this is a yeah. legacy thing with 30 <laughs> methods, but, but it's just like what I have to work with. So that wouldn't really buy me anything, um, adding in more contractual obligations. What do you think, Ryan? Um, I don't know. I've I've come a, I've come across the problem in different ways, and I guess it's kind of the tool set that I've handled is like when I'm needing to say decorate something, I usually try to extend. Like if I need to just change two or three methods in this instance, I usually just extend. Um, and that's probably just from my background of classical inheritance of saying you know extend, um, you know extend my user session instance and just say uh, get user ID is going to be something different this time. Mm-hmm. Um, to your point, that's the true decorator anyway. Yeah, that's so. like the yeah. traditional decorator pattern anyways. <laughs> and uh, I think that that's, that's just the way that I've, that I've come across it. And even in JavaScript, kind of have made it work a little bit similar to where my, cl- my classes, technically they are proxying to a different prototype and all this kind of stuff, similar to what Matt's doing. But 
um, you know, it feels like the same, like I'm calling an extend thing and it actually proxies over, but I don't know. I, I feel more of an extend when you're doing that, but there's probably an edge case that I'm not thinking about that it makes sense. Like if you're trying to, to pass over, I know I felt the harm of doing magic methods and not having those available to me when, you know, I'm trying to pass in an interface or something like that. Yeah. Right. The one thing I think with like interfaces in PHP and probably like zero people in the world agree with me on this, but <laughs> I think it would be, I think I almost wish that and not almost, I do. I wish that if I defined like a double underscore call on a, a class that yeah. it implements any interface that I put on it by default. Like I wish that's how the language treated it because to me, again, that's like the trust argument. I think to me, that's saying like, the compiler or, you know, the parser or whatever checks and says, okay, you're saying that you're implementing this foo interface, which has these four methods. You've only got one method declared here, but you've got double underscore call, you know, implemented. I'm going to mm. say, fine, dude, if you want to <laughs> implement that method, then I'm hands off. Method. The onus yeah. is on you. I'm going to let you pass it in. And t- to me, that would alleviate like a lot of some of these, these pains when it comes to stuff like that, because I feel like by trying to do all this, like, enforcement you just have people like trying to like work around it in a lot of ways and this is like kind of a tangential thing too but like if you look at the source code for mocking libraries in php like mockery or prophecy the that they have to do to be (laughs) able to satisfy a type hint with a test double that you create is insane and it's the only way that they could do it because people are trying to enforce things and they're trying to lock things down and make sure you can't do things. And the reality is like, have you guys seen that? Why Ruby keynote that DHH gave like years ago at a Ruby conf? Yeah. He uses, Mm -hmm. he uses this example of like, you know, did prohibition get rid of alcohol in the United States? No, you just had like people like sneaking it in tunnels and shit to get it into the town. Like people will find a way. And usually the way that they find is way worse than it would have been if you just let them do it in the first place. And to me, that's kind of like the political like philosophical um, side of that argument. Like I think I land on as far as like trusting developers to do what they want with the language versus not and with interfaces like specifically so the point of an interface right is to be able to enforce compatibility when there's not shared ancestry between two classes right Mm -hmm. right but compatibility is about more than the methods defined on the object and -hmm. the example that i've seen in the past is the concept of like if you have an interface for a stack you know like uh, the data structure of a stack uh, that has like a pop method, a push method, and a length method to check how big the stack is. And you have a couple different implementations of it. Maybe one's like implemented with like a linked list and one's implemented using a built-in array or whatever, right? The interface of a stack is pop, push, and length. But if I implement all three of those methods, there's other things that I have to make sure that my stack does to really be substitutable, to really be compatible. If I push something onto a stack, its length should be one greater than it was before I pushed something onto the stack. If I pop something off the stack, its length should be one less than it was before I popped something off the stack. And you can't like enforce that in code. And I think there are some languages like do it. Like I feel like I'm probably just making this up, but I feel like someone at one point said Eiffel like supports this. Like That'd be interesting actual like design by contract where you can enforce like some of these like rules and like assertions basically above like methods that say like things do things this way, things do things that way. But to me, that's like the totally like 
ass backwards solution that's like oh you're right we need to be able to ensure that it conforms to some sort of behavior let's find new syntax to pour on top of the language and 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 until we can enforce that because we have to make sure that that's enforced you're right we're test driven uh, test driven uh, interfaces yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so to me i feel like it's better to just accept that you know no amount of syntax or functionality that we try to add to the language for for the reason of enforcement is ever going to like completely satisfy it and no matter what there's always going to be like a level of trust where someone implementing a stack has to know that like that's kind of how a stack is supposed to work so why don't we just like chill and just let people do what they want and like trust people that they're going to do a good job does that make sense i i really think there's a big stigma against that yeah and i don't know where it came from exactly so I feel like it came from people with uh, compiled languages that when they have interfaces and they have a type system, it really matters. Like like you said, the compiler can optimize for it. The whole code base can be statically analyzed properly. And these things can come to light before you run the code. Um, I do think there's benefit in throwing the correct exception or error message when you hit the wrong interface. Like if I want a contract, that something notifies me. Um, I don't exactly want it to happen that way every time, but for the most part, you know, being notified is handy. I totally get that. But somewhere along the line in PHP, people started like kind of poo-pooing on the whole object. Uh, you need to have an interface for your object. You cannot just call a concrete implementation for whatever reason. Um, and if you're not type hinting, you're doing something wrong. And like, I think that's bullshit because there's no reason that it's wrong. You don't need you don't need some interface between every object seam. You can, but you don't need it. Um, and doing so actually creates a more complex code base unless you actually have a physical viable reason to do that. So like yeah. your code base, which could take two to three files, now takes 12 because you wanted to do it in the academic sense. And you know, sometimes that kind of purity is great. Other times it's convolution. And, Absolutely. But somewhere we started like talking about it and started saying, well, if you're doing if you're doing a small application, I guess it's fine that you don't use interfaces. But if you're doing enterprise, you need an interface. And right. for me, it's like, no, if you're using enterprise shit, like you're controlling my bank information, you better be using a compiled language. Otherwise, you're a dick. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, like, so that's another thing where, where I can't just like monkey patch withdraw to deposit or something. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> And like people tell me this, so they they suggest things like, "Oh, you don't type hint on your on your method signatures." It's like, no, I use Ruby ninety percent of my my time, and I know how to write proper code that's not going to like inject an integer over here when I actually want a user object. I could do yeah. that if I wanted to. Like, if I want to take a user object or an integer, and if I get an integer, I'll convert it into an object myself. I want to be able to do that sometimes. You know what's what's hilarious about like that specific argument, right? Is like if you use type hinting, you still have to write the code that makes sure it passes like you still have to write the code that passes the right type. Mm -hmm. Why mm -hmm. is it that because I don't use type hinting, I'm deemed to not be competent enough to write the same code as you that passes the correct type? Like writing the code that passes the right type has nothing to do with that type being defined in the the function signature it has mm -hmm. to do with knowing how to write the code that makes your system work. And like, I'm not coming from like a place where I have always been like opposed to it. I bet you like six months ago, I would have said 
you know, you should use type hints for the same kind of like naive, uh, I'm, I'm probably being a dickhead, but <laughs> for the <Yeah>. same reasons <laughs> that like I've said before, where it's, you know, I, I, I want to make sure that it's the right thing. Well, you know, this is what it's supposed to accept. So I'm going to codify it and the, the function definition, but I didn't really think deeper about it than that. And now I'm trying to think deeper about it than that. So I don't want yeah. people to like think I'm coming from this viewpoint of like, I don't want PHP to change. I want it to stay dynamic forever. To me, it's more like, dude, like I like grew up in this like statically typed world and that's where like I learned to do all this stuff. And now I'm starting to see the benefits of doing things in a different way. And I'm trying to hopefully help people understand that that's like not a bad way to do things either. And like, there shouldn't be a stigma and PHP is a weird language because of the fact that it's like optional type hinting for some reason that's looked at as like, you know, the adult table and the, the, uh, duck typing is looked at as the kids table because they're both in the same language. Like one of them has to be superior than the other one. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Right. What do people say in like the JavaScript world, Ryan? Like other people, I guess like with things like TypeScript, people must be complaining about types, but how big of like a topic is it? And what do people, people normally saying? I mean, I, I don't deal with it too much in, in the JavaScript world. Um, as far as having to deal with typing, uh, I never got into TypeScript just because it was a lot of heavy weight and kind of none of the build processes that I wanted to do really made it worth using. And like, kind of like we've said before is JavaScript isn't really, or like JavaScript or PHP isn't a place for extremely, extremely hard typing. So if I wanted to build some sort of web service or anything that needed strong typing, I would go to, I would go to Java. I would go to like C or something, you know, I wouldn't do that in JavaScript and I don't know some of the some of the IOC containers and stuff or dependency injection. I don't know. They're all calling themselves different things these days. But in JavaScript, uh, you can't really do it too too well. Um, At least not with like being able to like guess. You know what yeah, something should be not, based on its type. There's not much really of a reflection yeah. system in JavaScript. So <laughs> you just you're like the whole to, thing is a string. <laughs> yeah, you have you have these things of like, hey, the yeah, there's a string. A string. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it's it's kind of weird of of saying like that we need a type system in JavaScript. It doesn't need it. I I like the idea of types. I don't I don't mind that PHP has types. I actually I like that it's type hinting is an option. And I'm totally good with the RFCs making it in, but I don't understand the obsession behind it. My mm-hmm. my big thing is I really want people or I should say one more thing. The the people who <laughs> I'm trying not to sound like a dick well not even like a dick i just don't want to sound like i'm against these rfcs because i actually do like a lot of them but like some people want to keep php as is other people want to make php like their favorite language and then the rest just kind of like look at it a little bit further back and say yeah this would probably work well for php because we have these situations Um, because a lot of things in php's history have been shoehorned in and for the most part they work but there's baggage attached to it because of the fact that PHP is usually really good about backwards compatibility. So like a lot of that's going to be awkward. Closures are kind of awkward in PHP and they call, (laughs) yeah, they call it a feature that it's not lexically scoped. They call it a feature that you have to import it, but I only know statically compiled languages that do that. So that, that just doesn't seem right to me. But, um, and by, you know, statically typed languages that do that, you mean just Java. Does Objective C, I think. Oh, uh, does Objective C do it too? Swift, I think you have to import. I can't remember, 
But is like, Objective C considered a statically typed language? Yeah, it's statically typed. I mean, you can you can void star things and use the um, oh god, there's a there's another option. It's not void itself, but there's another one that you just type in, and it's like an implicit type. Which implicit typing might be something we can get into later. But anyway, with the way the RFCs work, I don't want people to f- like just judge each other immediately. Like I'm I'm guilty of this too, where people if they keep adding like 12 features from Java over the course of a year. Be like, what the f*** are you using PHP for? But at the same time, <laughs> some of those features could be useful. But it's the same people. Um, like if I was like, well, I'm going to add monkey patching to PHP. I'm going to add uh, message passing just for the shits and giggles. You know, I'm going to I'm going to make it so I can declare classes at runtime. Like everybody would have my head on a chopping block for doing it the other way. And it's just like you have to keep an open mind about this stuff and not assume that one of us is doing it wrong. We're just doing it different ways. Yeah. And I, t- I totally agree. Like, I think like for, I'm with you, like, and I want to make this point too, like these RFCs, like there's like the scalar type hitting RFC, for example, right? Like if I had like a vote in PHP, I would vote for it because we have type hints for everything else already. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's inconsistent that we don't right. have it for that. So despite the fact that like my personal like style, I feel like I enjoy writing code more when I'm writing it in a way where I feel like the language is like letting me do what I want and not trying to like you know, bolt me to the ground in certain places. Mm-hmm. I would still want that to be there for consistency's sake. And, you know, if people want to use it, people want to use it. I, I just don't, a lot of people's arguments for it being brought in are like, yeah, we need this. Like, I don't know how anyone wrote code without this before. And that's what like kind of grinds my gears. It's like, right. dude, like you're not, you got to like have an open mind here and understand that you can still write good code the other way. Like it's not like a childish, like crappy way to write code. It's like a powerful way to write code. It's just a little bit of a different philosophy. And it's, I don't want dynamic typing because I want to be able to pass a string where I need an integer. Like when I declare a variable, I only ever store one type in it. Does Mm -hmm. that mean I should have to put that type in front of the variable when I define the variable no that's just like good programming like you use things the way like they're meant to be used i don't rely on php's ability to truncate a bunch of characters off of the end of a string that starts with a number like i don't want that either but there's other you know benefits to it that i i don't think it's fair to just shrug off as being like an amateur way of of writing code yeah i i think a lot of it's just like our human nature where when we learn something cool we think that everything has to be done that way like years ago when I learned closures, I was like, yeah, throw these everywhere. Like I'm, I'm going to put it in everything. And then I, and then you invented JavaScript (laughs) and that is how JavaScript was born. (laughs) Um, but like, you know, you, you, you kind of figure this stuff out over time. And that's not to say the people who are like huge proponents of it are doing that per se. Like, I don't want to make that assumption of them, but, um, from conversations I've had with several of them, these are people who up until I, let's see what the time difference is might be like a year now. Um, cause I had this conversation months ago, but it was like, they had just learned what, uh, type hints were and they had just learned what interfaces were. And before like Laravel four started pushing this stuff, they never used them and all yeah. their applications worked just fine. They were professional <laughs> applications that worked, but then the stuff got introduced to them. So they're like, I can't work without these anymore. It's like, yes, you can. You're just forgetting how to do it. It's like when you come into a new framework, you forget that you don't have to make active record models for all of your models, or you don't have to like keep three folders only. It's just stuff. You, it's like a culture shock thing, I think. But like, I think one of the things that 
PHP can do well with type hinting is the the kind of thing that Taylor's done with the IOC container. And I th- I think I have to give some credit to Symphony. I think it was Symphony that wrote Pimple, right? Yeah. Or um, I can't remember. Fabian did at least I think, or at least started the project. I don't know. Yeah, would, would that probably kinda... we're not giving like some like really credit deserving person credit right here. So right, whoever whoever the wrote these di- <laughs> these containers before Taylor, great job. Um, but like the fact that we can type in and he's doing really awesome things with that information, like he's reducing the amount of typing that people have to do. Like, I don't want to say exponentially cause I can't verify that math, but you know, <laughs> from what I've, I've been demonstrating in my, my screencast and like just playing with the framework, I don't have to type anything to get the stuff in here. Like I add the interface should be queued and magically my stuff is on a messaging queue. Like that's fantastic. I'm a little unsure how I feel about it doing it magically, but I love the fact that I don't have to care or, uh, I can say like, I have a handle method granted. It could make an attempt or it could look up to see if I have a handle method, but it uses that contract in a really awesome way. And it knows whether it's a self handling command or it's not. Um, I don't, I can't comment on whether they should be self handling cause I don't know a whole lot about that's commands. That's a whole other topic. Yeah. It's a whole other thing, but he built all this in. So you can use them this way, or you can use them a different way. Like the way it looks up methods, the way it looks up objects, the way it can inject things, that's a great use of type hinting. And I think that's an argument to use it for PHP, but I don't think it makes you a bad developer if you don't use it. I think the other thing is I've seen people like kind of misuse the type system in some ways. And because PHP is flexible, like it doesn't complain. Mm -hmm. Like I've seen examples of people defining empty interfaces, um, so that they can type hint something and it, only really for documentation purpose, right? So uh, in the example of like a command-oriented architecture thing, like I don't really want to get into like defining the whole thing, right? But we have this idea of like a command that encapsulates like the information necessary to perform some use case in your system. And none of these commands have really anything in common and the, they all have like a matching handler that handles them. And none of these handlers have anything in common except for the fact that they have a method called handle and um, people will create like a handler interface that, you know, that has a handler method that takes a type hinted command and that's the interface. And then if I have a specific handler, like a purchase podcast handler in order to implement that interface, my handle method has to say that it accepts a command. The reality is it doesn't accept a command. It only accepts a purchase podcast command. If PHP was like really strict, it would blow up when you like tried to compile it because people a lot of time aren't really understanding how some of these like relationships actually work. And I actually like walked through an example with someone not too long ago of like taking some code that I had found in PHP and porting it over to Java and showing them that it just doesn't compile. You know what I mean? Because (laughs) people don't understand like this concept of like, if I say that this can take a command, that means it can work with any command. I can't like make a more, I can't tighten the type that something takes in a subclass. Right. Mm -hmm. It has to be as loose as the parent class because the whole point is that a consumer might be using the subclass and it doesn't know. So it has to provide the same interface. So people are kind of using them really just for documentation in a lot of ways in that case, because it's not really providing you anything besides documentation. And I think like the documentation argument is powerful. Like it is useful to be able to look and see like, this is exactly what something takes. I think in a language like Ruby or, 
well-written JavaScript, <laughs> you you find other <laughs> ways of making your code um, expressive and clear to the person that's you know working with it to understand what you need to pass in is what it, it needs to be. I don't know. Yeah, and I I think a lot of that's valid. Um, I also I'll play devil's advocate, and I want to say that if somebody does something because it works in PHP but not in Java, I don't want to say that's bad. I do want to say empty interfaces are not your. That's just no. But um, if you're if you're putting an interface on something to make it work like an interface and it wouldn't compile in Java, I think that's okay because you're leveraging um, what PHP can do. And I have to say that because like people are like, you're putting methods on objects dynamically at runtime. And I'm like, hell yeah, because my language lets me do that. Like I don't, but I think, I think it's a little different though, because like if you're saying this accepts an implementation of this interface Mm -hmm. and I call a method that isn't defined in that interface, then like you're violating like the contract that you're claiming that you need, you know what oh, I mean? Like, okay. Okay. I see what you're saying. Right. Yeah. So if, if I'm saying like, I need, um, you know, something that implements the command interface, but, uh, this command has getters for these three properties. And this command has getters for these other four properties. I better not be calling methods that don't exist on that top level command because I'm saying that I can work with any of those commands. Okay. Yeah. I just totally misunderstood you there. <laughs> I was like, no, no, no. Language specific features are awesome. I totally agree that language specific features are awesome. I will. Not yeah. I think that. that there's a difference between kind of the trust and doing stupid things, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, like I could take a collection in and rename that variable to just a regular array and it'd be completely viable and you wouldn't know the whole difference consuming that method, but it'd be bad. It'd be a bad code practice. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I've I've even found myself doing this. Naming things is hard, so I'll have like a results collection from from Mongo or from from my ORM, and then run a for each loop inside of it. And I have like my mapped version of that array that I'm going to return from like a a uh, like a transformer library or something, and I'll call it results. Mm-hmm. And that's just bad. Um, sure, you know and. Like you said, it, if you did that in Java and it's named the same thing, it wouldn't work. But Ruby or PHP or JavaScript, we have to be a little bit more. Uh, we have to be a little bit better with the way that we work because we don't get we don't get an error at runtime saying, "Hey, you have two things with different types at runtime." You're gonna get all of a sudden your for loop is gonna indefinitely run because you're building a new array. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's funny that you bring up like the array thing. This is a kind of a tangent to that, but it's kind of reminding me of that. So there's a new RFC that was like published in the last couple of days um, about uh, some types in PHP. That's the, that's the language they're using. I think like some other languages call them like union types or something. So in the function definition, you can say this takes this type and then there's like a pipe or this type. Mm. Um, so you know, this is compatible with integers or floats if scalar type hinting made it in sort of thing. Um, and like the main use case, uh, well, not the main use case, but like the first example that they give is that um, you can have an object that implements array access, but if I type hint an array, I can't pass in that object. And likewise, if I type hint array access, I can't pass in an actual array because the actual arrays in PHP don't implement the interfaces <laughs> because like they're not objects, right? They're right. primitives in PHP. So they can't um, technically do it. 
So is the solution to allow you to pass in something of one type or this type, or is that not the root cause? Like to me, that feels like a bandaid to me. Like the solution is let's figure out a way to be able to type hint something that an array, an actual array can satisfy or something that behaves like an array in the way that I need it to. So like the classic example um, is if you have like a collection class that you're decorating your arrays with to be able to do like, you know, fluent method calls instead of using like the built-in like array functions and stuff like that, I, that should be interchangeable anywhere that I'm passing in an array because it works like exactly the same. Like it is 100% compatible everywhere that I would ever expect an array. Um, but people will type hint an array because it's like, well, what did I pass here? Oh, I passed in an array, so I'm going to add the array type hint. It's They're thinking about it kind of backwards. It's not like, what do I need? It's like, what did I pass? Mm-hmm. Um, so let's put that there so no one else can pass anything else. And I've seen people even do it with like, say that you have something that you know takes an options hash. You'd call it an options hash in Ruby, right? So in PHP, it's just an associative array that probably has like a bunch of keys that you need. And those keys are mapped to values. People will type hint array in the thing that takes that options hash. And yes, most yeah. of the time we're going to be passing in an array, but is that like really enforcing that you're passing in the right thing? No, the mm-hmm. right thing is a specific associative array with specific keys or a collection that, you know, has those keys in the array that it's like decorating. We just need so, hash maps and then we're Java. <laughs> so there's, there's, there's two, two solutions to that problem, right? And the one solution that I think a lot of people would jump on when I bring up that point is like, hmm, you're right. We need to be able to somehow enforce that the array that I pass in only contains these keys. Let's come up with a syntax for type hinting an array that has (laughs) specific keys. And my solution is get rid of the f***ing type hint. Like, because it's not, it's not telling you what it actually takes anyways. Like, an array to me is like a list of things that I can iterate over. It's a weird thing in PHP that associative arrays are, are the same things as arrays in the first place. Like but it's an so associative nice. array and a regular, <laughs> it's, it's convenient. Like you can do yeah. cool stuff with it. Right. And it's nice that we have like this, like one data type that's like really flexible and can do all this stuff. Like I'm, I'm for that. That's cool. But to type hint array to me is not, to me, that's saying like a collection of things. You know, when I see like array, array to me in my mind means like this has some things in it uh, with like numeric indexes. Like that's what I think of as an array. Like an associative array is an instance of array or or whatever in PHP too. But when I see like an array type hint, I'm thinking I pass in a collection of things that are probably all of the same type because that's how I would usually write write code, right? So you're not, you're not, expressing what you actually need you're just kind of saying this is what i passed in so i'm gonna type in that and lock it down so no one else can pass in you know a collection that still implements array access like i need something that i can ask for these three keys so since i can't enforce what the keys are anyways why am i enforcing that it has to be an array that an array instead of something that has offset get implemented Mm -hmm. on it you know like i shouldn't really care compatibility to me isn't about like the type and compatibility is like a really really hard thing to codify so you have to be careful with like associating type with compatibility because they're not really the same thing mm-hmm. i'd play devil's advocate to that a little bit and i'd say that like if if you have a consumer class that's requiring array i would say that my approach would be two, one of two options you either have an intermediary class that turns that collection or array access iterator into an actual array or 
you would have, or you, like you said, get rid of the type in. So what would you do then? You would like, if you had a collection and mm-hmm. this collection contained things and I wanted to pass it to a method that was type ending array, like you would just convert the collection to an array and like, oh, pretty much every collection implementation has like a two array on it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I would probably do. But doesn't that feel like a workaround almost? Like when it should have just worked? Like, I think that's um, when I'm using interface here, I strictly mean not type ending interface or contract interface. But like that's a that's a developer interface decision. Like if you want to add if you want to add that wrapping layer over top where you make it ambiguous and then you have the stricter typing down below, I think that kind of works. But then you're also adding another layer to your call stack. So I don't know. There's there's a lot of trade-offs in place there. And I, I think the ambiguity between PHP's uh, array type and like what its underlying data structure is at that moment is odd. So I do agree that t- trying to type in array could be ambiguous and you just have to expect either one where I think array access makes more sense and the generic uh, primitive should probably just conform to it or f- falsify the signature maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, think that, oh, sorry, go ahead, Ryan. I think array might be, maybe it's an outlier on that, that you have a yeah, primitive right. that is. hits, you know, hits an interface. Um, mm-hmm. Cause the other thing I would say is, you know, make an inter- like make an interface that fits all of your things. Well, we could do it like Java does and have an integer and then an integer class. I don't think that's the right way to do it, but that's, I know that sounded like I was going like, ha, but no, like that's actually, that's how it works. JavaScript technically has its own stuff. Like it has its own versions of that, believe it or not. It has oh, I know. a, yeah. yeah, Ryan knows. <laughs> it has its own string type. It has, I think an integer or some sort of numeric but it's it's technically a class that it, it wraps your objects or it wraps your your primitive and it looks like a primitive but it's yeah, not a primitive. Yeah, I can't I can't remember what it's called for number because technically even integers are numbers in JavaScript. Um and numbers are like these floats possibly doubles. <laughs> um but you can make them act like integers if you really really try hard. So um but yeah, I can't remember what it is in JavaScript that you have like this class for numbers and it has like all of your weird number operations and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, if nothing else, that shows that all languages have warts. <laughs> You're oh, like, definitely. What the hell? <laughs> I think like one other thing that people would probably try in the case of like you know that config array, basically. That I was saying. So say like you were writing like um, something to work with you know the GitHub API. You had like a GitHub API client, and it took like a configuration array of like some different options that you could set. Some people might say, well, yeah, like the type in of array doesn't define it but what is it that you're actually taking well you're taking a github api client configuration parameters so you would create a github api client configuration parameters class and then you could type in that because it's guaranteed to be the right thing right but how far like down that chain do you go like does that constructor take an array of configuration options now and how do you enforce it there or do you just have like a I mean, in some cases like that, it's actually like not the most terrible thing. If you're really on this like path of like enforcement, you could say this constructor takes these five parameters, which are the required configuration options, and there's setters for these other seven um, configuration options that we've defined a default for that you don't need to define, and you could pass that in. But that trying to do that for every single thing all the time doesn't lead to necessarily you know better code by uh, any definition other than you know, it's as strict as possible. Like sometimes it's simpler and 
just easier to work with and easier to understand and easier to maintain when you can use like a primitive array for configuration. It's just, yeah, it's just as simple as that. If you want to know what the options are, just look at the constructor where we're mapping them out and you can kind of see that they're right there sort of thing. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I think the uh, the RailsConf talk on this, I mean, it was about testing, but it's similar to the idea of architecting where you don't need arch- architecture of, you know, type pinning can be good. I like type pinning when I need to use it, when I can use it for reflection or when, you know, I know that I'm going to have a junior dev come on after me and they need to be off, you know, off the ground running and be able to, whether through through their IDE or through a grep command or whatever, look up, you know, what interface, like, what are these methods doing? You know, that's really, really helpful. And I've found it aggravating sometimes when things that clearly could use type pinning didn't. And that, you know, naming, like, things got named all over the place and now you don't have any interface anywhere that you're not, so you're not aware of where things are being passed around. That being said, you can type hint and completely make illegible, weird mess code as well. So I think use it where it fits. And, you know, I'd like to see some of these, some of these type in things pass through. We should have scalars if we have objects. But. Totally. Yeah. I, I can see like some like real, cases that I would never argue with, right? Like I've always thought that explicit interfaces in PHP were an advantage over some other dynamically typed languages and not an advantage in the sense that, oh yes, we have interfaces and they don't, they don't. So we can use interfaces for everything. But if you're releasing a library that is meant to be like framework agnostic and depends on the person using the library to connect it, like to wire it up and implement a couple of these collaborators that need to specifically talk to the way that your application works. It can be helpful to be able to provide a skeleton file, you know, that's basically saying like, this is kind of what you need to implement for this to work. And interfaces are a good way of doing that and kind of guaranteeing that someone um, writing a library does that and makes it easier for people to use their code. But at the same time, if you're a Ruby developer and you're releasing a library that involves someone to write their own implementations of a couple things, you could always, you know, ship it in like a docs folder or something. If you really wanted to go through the trouble of like doing a good job and writing and putting it together in a way that's increasing the chances of it being successful and other people adopting it, then you would probably go through the trouble of documenting it and helping people understand like what they need to do to get stuff working. So I guess I can kind of see it both ways. Yeah, and uh, like in Ruby, the one time where I'm like, I really want types right now is if I'm testing uh, like a piece of code that's going to act like a library where I do need to check to see, uh, does this object have this method? Sometimes I want types, sometimes I just want a contract there, but it could reduce my amount of unit testing to a degree. At the same time, I've like over time, I kind of learned what I need to test and what I don't need to test as far as uh, Ruby testing goes. So most of the time, I don't actually have to care if that method exists. Like it's going to tell them you tried to use a string and a string doesn't exist or whatever um, in more like Ruby class terms. But uh, I don't know. I guess it's just when I'm in a language, I feel like I should be using types. Then I use types and I'm happy with them. If I feel like I shouldn't be using types, then I'm pretty like, why are you trying to shove this down my throat? Because you think it's right. Like, 
I think as long as everybody treats each other with respect and doesn't make the assumption that because we're doing it a different way, we're newbies in some way, or we're, we're unsophisticated, like cowboy coding, shoot them up, everything, pew, pew, pew. You know, it's like we do the same thing with testing. We do the same thing with any new principle. Uh, I guess BDD and DDD are kind of the big ones right now that are also getting, uh, you know, kind of that stigma with them. But some of us just do things differently. Some apps need things differently. And if we combine the right tools with what we're doing, we're still going to have a great application that is performant and we can verify it works. Um, one thing I would actually love to see PHP start to use is uh, a concept called generative testing, where uh, you kind of generate a set of information that you want to test against. And this thing will just sit there and spin through all the possible options that you give it. And if it hits a wrong one, then you can work off that and go, what happened here? Um, if we're basing off numbers, like did it hit a negative integer? Did number 42 blow up just because one of the developers was a smart ass and appended something to it? You know, like what happened here? Um, so different tools like that, I think work. And I guess I feel like a lot of PHP developers want it for the reasons that it makes it feel more like a statically typed language or a static and compiled language. So they, they can have that tool set that they used to love. Like if I was in uh, Visual Studio and I got thrown into, I don't know, I guess like PHP Storm or Sublime or just like any of the editors that I wouldn't be used to, I'd be pretty like, well, what the hell is this? I can't analyze anything. Why isn't ReSharper working? Like <laughs> I, I would be disappointed too and I would expect those things, but I don't feel like shoehorning a language to fit your view is the best unless you can kind of objectively back it up. Um, so I just think everybody needs to keep that stuff in mind when we're having these discussions and uh, when we're judging each other's code. Like if we're doing code reviews, you don't have to be a jerk. You can just be like, hey, man, like, yeah, that looks good. I see you use type hints. Why'd you choose to do that here? Like, do you, you mind me asking? Like, we don't have to be like, Psh, you're not using type hints, noob. Well, we've been going for quite a while now. Is there any uh, other specific points you guys want to talk about related to this stuff? No, it's really about it. Well, uh, I know, Matt, like you wanted to talk a bit about like a conference thing you're putting on. So why don't you kind of give us the pitch for that? Okay. Yeah. Thanks for reminding me. Um, so in Erie, Pennsylvania, in the United States, we're throwing a one day event. Um, it's limited to 120 developers right now, I think. Uh, it's going to be an open source web development based day. Uh, a lot of Erie uses .NET and COBOL. Uh, the rest use PHP, and we kind of want to introduce them to the open source way of working on things, uh, kind of like contributing through GitHub, how to work with JavaScript frameworks, how to add just enough JavaScript to your code, what it's like to migrate a .NET code base to Ruby, uh, different things like that. Um, right now, we're kind of we're looking for sponsors because we want to keep the ticket costs way down. We're targeting a lot of students, and we have four universities within like a 20-mile radius. So we really want them to come. We want to get some professionals. Uh, we want to get people together to just have a really good time, have good conversations. The event's at a brewery. So if you have 10 bucks, you buy a, a growler. And then every time you come back, it's like $10 refill. Or I think it's 15 bucks for the growler. But, you know, it's just a really cool atmosphere, really good venue. Um, if anybody wants to help out, sponsor it. We give out uh, tickets with the sponsorship packages that correspond. Um, we're looking for a few more speakers. So if anybody wants to contact me, um, be more than welcome to like kind of see the proposal. We don't have a, a formal CFP because we're kind of carefully curating this stuff right now, um, mostly because of Erie's demographic. 
So like, again, with the .NET and the COBOL and people who want to see what else is out there, we want to make sure we show them like the spots that are likely to pull them in and not just go, that's a really awesome technology I will never use, you know, like <laughs> want to rope them in a little bit. We, um, there's a group of us that are really big on community around here in our uh, Ruby user group. And we just want more people to talk to because like the most we ever have is 20 people. We'd rather see a room full of 40 people all sharing ideas. Like that would be really awesome. Um, so yeah, if you, if you are interested in that, hit me up on Twitter at Machuga or Machuga at eriedayofcode.com and the website's eriedayofcode.com. I'll pop it in for the show notes. But yeah, thanks for giving me a chance to shout out on that. Yeah, no problem, man. That's not, that sounds really cool. Hopefully, it goes well. Um, Ryan, I know you've been uh, you got a little project that you've been kind of keeping busy with lately. Maybe you want to plug that a little bit before we go. Yeah. So usually, as my as my day job, I'm a full stack PHP and JavaScript developer. Um, but as on the side, I also run a training course uh, called Ember Grep, which if you're wanting to get started with Ember. Or um, I'm working right now on a Node API uh, course that is embergrep.com. And uh, the courses run anywhere from $40. I think this next one's going to be around 60 And that's about for an hour of code. The next one's going to be like two hours of video with full lesson notes. So you're basically getting uh, a few hours of video and um, basically a small book along with it for about 40 bucks, And Good you deal. have it forever. So. Go check out this website. Yeah, so check it out, uh, embergrep.com. And I can actually make a coupon code for uh, full stack. So that's going to be full stack, all lowercase. And I'll run it for like the next two weeks. And even even if you're not interested in Ember, this stuff's like, it's kind of cool and it's a really awesome way of thinking about it. So definitely, I recommend checking it out. Awesome. And we did, we did a really cool episode on Ember a couple weeks ago too that got me really excited about it. So hopefully other people listening thought it was cool too and want to learn more about it and they can check out ember grab uh what's the best way to like reach you on twitter and stuff ryan uh reach me on twitter that's ryan tablada so it's r-y-a-n-t-a-b-l-a-d-a i know my name's a little bit weird um sounds just like it's spelt but people get it all messed up um so that and then ryan at ember grab if you want to email me awesome well this has been really fun dudes uh, this is the first time that i've done like a three people on the podcast and try to do it as like a kind of a roundtable discussion instead of a more of an interview format, which has been in the past. And this was really fun. So maybe we'll do more of these in the future. So thanks to both of you guys for coming on and giving me your time. This was awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having us. So, um, show notes for this episode are going to be found at fullstackradio.com slash episodes slash 10. Uh, if you could like rate and review the podcast on iTunes, that'd be awesome. That's really helpful and helps, uh, other people discover us. And if you want to give me any feedback or suggestions or anything, you can uh, reach out to me on the full stack radio, Twitter account, or my personal Twitter account, or just shoot me an email. Well, thanks guys.